And welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We'll certainly tackle a variety of different issues today and topics in terms of the Giants offseason. It is quieted down, but that doesn't mean that we can't speculate a little bit about what we're going to see come training camp. Some of the positional battles like to get into today and where the depth is on this roster and, and things that'll be interesting to watch come training camp. We'll get to your phone calls as well. Before we do that, Paul, yesterday we were talking about the supplemental draft, and I know you wanted to clarify some of that that we got into yesterday so that right. this way the fans understand the rules and what has to necessarily be sacrificed if you do want to go after a player who could be very well selected in the supplemental draft because that is obviously around the corner. Well, the first thing they do, Lance, and, and again, we had this question yesterday about potential supplemental picks. There are three guys supposedly that are of interest around the league. We'll get to those in just a minute. But the way the process works is that the league is di uh, divided into three sections. Your playoff teams, your, quote, contenders, and then your teams that were way out of it. Okay. And they will go within each group, and they will say, okay, group one, submit your silent bid as to what is the highest round draft pick you would be willing to give up for X player. And if the guy gets through that first group without anybody picking him, they go to the second group, and then they do the same thing. If he gets through that group, they go to the third group, and they do the same thing. If he still doesn't get named, he's now immediately a free agent. Now, if, let's say, two teams submit the same level draft choice, so we're in group one, and let's say the Giants submit a third-round pick for player X, and the Saints submit a third-round pick for player X, the Giants get him because they would have had the worst record last season so that's the way it goes and there are three players uh beal alexander and i'm forgetting the third player now you know those are the two obviously that are the, the most two focused. those are the two corners who a lot of people are talking about and they both have high level skill sets that make them very attractive for the draft of course alexander has a number of off the field issues which also have to be considered. Beal does not. Um, and Brandon Bryant, Mississippi State. Right. Yeah, the safety. Yeah. He's a free safety, I believe. Yeah. So uh, the two corners and the free safety, who all have enough of skills that certainly will intrigue teams. The question will be, are they willing to forfeit then the complementary pick from next year's draft. So if you get awarded a guy and they say, okay, you got him, you bid third round, you got him, you're giving up your third round pick next season. You just forfeit the pick. Yeah, which is why you've got to weigh whether or not you think you can get something better in next year's draft or you think this player could come in and immediately make a contribution. Now, to your point, they are projecting Beal rounds three through five. Bryant, 4 through 6, and then Alexander, 5 through 7. Just to give you a ballpark in terms of value. That's coming, from CBS? coming from CBS Sports. Yes. Yeah, I think you could make a very strong argument that Beal, um, 
is the cleanest of the players in terms of skill set, personnel profile, the medical. He's got the cleanest portfolio, which is why they're speculating he will have the highest tag or the highest bid in the supplemental draft, which is coming up. Do we have a date on it? I can look that up in one second here. Uh, Alexander has some off-the-field stuff, uh, which, you know, yellow flags. We all know about the personnel profiles off the field. That gives a lot of teams a lot of pause and a lot of uh, reason to doubt or yellow flag a guy. So that's going to have to be considered. But he certainly has the skills. Without question, he has the skills and the versatility to play in the NFL. We still don't have a date? I'm still looking okay. for everything that I have here does not have uh, anything specifically listed. I, I mean, I know obviously it's uh, coming up, but there is nothing listed from all of these articles that I'm searching for in terms of the specific date. I thought but it was we'll coming up it. within a week, Well, th- but in any event. what I believe, too, but I don't want to throw out the wrong date, and then it turns out to be false information. All of these articles that I have are obviously breaking down all of the positional players. This, this article says it's typically held in July and that it has not been set. Now, this was back on June 6th. So maybe that's the case. Maybe they have not formally announced a date yet. I know it's usually this time of the year, and I thought that maybe something had been specifically established, but these articles are all claiming that July they're waiting 11th. for the Okay, so they have since come out since that article. July, July 11th. 11th. So there you go. So that's the deal, folks. So we will see uh, if, in fact, one of these guys in the secondary might be helpful to a team such as the Giants, um, who certainly would like to enhance their depth chart. Will they take a chance on one of these guys? Or, as I said yesterday, often is the case. You know, you don't see a ton of these supplemental guys get picked. As often is the case, teams will just sit back and say, you know what, we'll take our chances, we won't submit a bid on a draft choice, and we'll just go gangbusters after him as a free agent and see if we can sign him then. Well, that's certainly one option. The other option is they're impressed with what they've seen out of the other corners and safeties in camp, and they don't think it's necessary to sacrifice a resource like a draft pick on a player. And that could obviously be another part of the equation. Today's the 19th. I believe on the 28th, Beal has a pro day. In terms of working out for teams. Which is going to impact of course. how many teams yeah. decide they want to take a stab at him. I don't think there's any question because I- I'm sure they will also want to talk to him in addition to watch him work out. Yeah, but I think, once again, if you're a team and you've now had the entire spring to evaluate secondary players, if you feel, hey, there's enough competition for your team, then I could see teams saying, you know what, it's just not worth it, or we'll wait to see if nobody claims him and he ultimately becomes a free agent. Because draft picks are extremely valuable. I think the Giants know that firsthand based on how important this past draft was. So when you are going to now all of a sudden say, hey, we'll give up a third or a fourth rounder for a player that, let's face it, they're in the supplemental draft for a reason. Some of it may have been academics, but other was because of question marks from a football standpoint. That's still a risky proposition to be giving up a draft pick for next year when you know you're going to have a much bigger talent pool to just roll the dice on somebody that may not even make your roster. Um, Adonis Alexander's pro day is tomorrow. So, you know, we may hear yeah. more. I'm sure that there'll be some media there. Uh, we may be hear a lot more about who attends the pro days. That may give you a little bit of a hint as to who's really thinking about him because let's face it, if you are serious about making a potential bid on a guy, chances are you are going to want to check him out at one of these two pro days. I can't see too many people going sight unseen off of just tape 
and then putting in a future bid on a guy that they haven't been thoroughly researching. Well, I'm sure that's part of it. I, I would guess that a lot of these teams have also, when they went through the normal draft process, Paul, they probably did their homework and research because you want to talk to the coaching staff members, individuals that have been around these players for quite some time, as opposed to just basing your decision on one pro day. I mean, that to me is even more important. How do you get to know this player and whether or not the coaches saw some upside in him that say, hey, you know what? This is worth investing in. This is worth taking a chance on to see if he could bring, if you could bring him mm-hmm. into your roster and whether or not he could compete once training camp starts. Because, you know, th- there really is, there's a lot of pluses and minuses that you have to take into consideration into. You know, this is not, if this was a consideration where it's just, hey, you outright sign the guy and it's just a bidding war from a financial perspective, that's one thing. When you're giving up draft picks, it's not such an easy decision, in, in my opinion. No, and you also must consider that, Teams a lot of times will want to use those draft picks in trades as well. And now if you're just giving up next year's one of next year's picks. Well, that's one less resource you have in your One less resource yeah. you have to trade. I mean, let's say you give up a fourth rounder next year because you want to grab this player. Well, now you can't use a fourth rounder to package it if you want to move up somewhere. I mean, it gets yeah. a little sticky. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Whether or not these three players have a lot of attention brought their way, they have about a little less than a month to evaluate these players before the supplemental draft on July 11. 201 is the telephone number, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We're going to open up the phone lines, and then we'll get to a variety of other conversations with respect to the makeup of the Giants roster. But let's hear from Scott in New Mexico. Scott, what's happening? Hi, guys. How you doing? Doing right, Hi. Scott. What do you got for us? Uh, I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to make a legitimate argument why the Giants are a Super Bowl contender this year. And I'm going to start with or preface the conversation by saying there were approximately eight teams that had a either a 500 record or a losing record that the following year they won the Super Bowl, including the New York Giants. And the best example was the Rams, who were 4-12 and one year, and the next year they win the Super Bowl. So I was looking at the entire roster, and one of the things I noticed, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but the pass-blocking efficiency ratings that Pro Football Focus came out with, even with the uh, histrionics of the offensive line, they were ranked 17th. And just by comparison, Minnesota was ranked 13th. And to give you an example, the Giants have made... Uh, tremendous steps in improving the offensive line. And if you look at the wide receivers that they have, the three, uh, I don't see a better tandem uh, in the NFL. And if you throw in Saquon Barkley, you have four receivers all on the same team. It's sort of like sort of a mini Golden State Warrior type team. Uh, there's nobody that can be covered. So if you combine the offensive line, <coughs> excuse me, the offensive line that they have now and the receivers they have now, and throwing Saquon Barkley, I don't see any weaknesses, and I wanted to get your comments at least on the offensive side if you agree with me or not. Well, here's the thing. Even a team that has a terrific offensive line and can run and pass the ball with a high efficiency ratio, uh, if they don't enhance their rush defense and get off the field in third down, if they don't win the turnover battle, if they don't have a much more efficient special teams roster or, or unit, uh, they're not going to win a whole lot of football games. So I appreciate what you're saying about the potential of the Giants' offense 
but there's a lot more that's going to go into this if the Giants are going to put up a lot more wins than what they did last year. And offense is only one very small component. Well, but again, with the pass blocking efficiency that the Giants had ranked 17th, that's pretty high. And they had a miserable offensive line. Yeah, but you, you also have to take to. into consideration, Scott, you know, part of that is also Eli Manning getting rid of the football very quickly. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't put some substance behind those numbers, but that that number to me is not necessarily the most important number because I think a lot of quarterbacks get rid of the football very quickly. So, right. you know, when you evaluate an offensive line, I mean, I can come up with a lot of mathematical equations that show no good doubt. numbers. I think you also have to rely on the eye test and you got to rely on whether or not also they're effective running the football, which is a huge component, much more important Look, to me than necessarily the passing of the football. Tom Coughlin always told us that if there was absolutely positively one stat – that you had to win to enhance your chances to come away with a victory, it was the takeaway ratio. That's okay. that's yeah. the one single solitary most important stat. If you want to live in a bubble, the turnover ratio, the takeaways and the giveaways, that is the stat. If you want to live in a bubble, that has to be heavily in your favor if you're going to win a lot of ball games. Right. Uh, well, if I can just quickly flip to the defense, uh, you already know that Harrison has, for the last five years, has been the top-rated defensive lineman in the run stop. And now, basically, with the other personnel that you put on the on the field, uh, you have a, a fairly stout defensive line. Then you combine it with the hybrids that you've uh, added to the lineup with Lorenzo Carter and with. Uh, uh, What's his name? Uh, Kareem Martin, you're talking about? Yes. Uh, the, the only weakness I see, uh, they, two ha- they have two outstanding corners, and they have a, an outstanding safety, and the question mark really is the free safety, uh, Darian Thompson. And if you look at his stats from last year, he still was involved in about 75 plays. So the biggest thing against him was his tackling ability. If that improves, I don't see as many weaknesses as everybody's portending they see. So if you put it all together, and I appreciate your point, Paul, about the takeaways, but just on personnel alone, the Giants are right there. I don't see really that many weaknesses uh, in the team. I'll take your comments off the air, but I just want to go over that with you and see what your your overall opinion was. Thank you. All right, Scott. Appreciate the phone call. You know, one very small statement he made there when talking about the defense, he said two very solid corners. Well, Jenkins needs to have a bounce-back season, and Eli Apple really needs to have a bounce-back season for that statement to hold true. And at the moment, those are not locks. You have a pretty good idea that Jenkins will rebound to what he showed two seasons ago. You want to believe that Apple will do the same, but we don't know that, and quite honestly, uh, you darn well better have three reliable corners, if not four. I was going to say reliable I would go corners. Than three, yeah. And we've heard the coach already tell us, Coach Shermer, that is, that corners three, four, and five are involved in a battle. We don't even know right now who the third corner is. Uh, this is a serious flaw. In, in his theory. 
Well, the other thing that I would add is, I mean, listen, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and Scott seems to be extremely optimistic, and he should be. It's a new season. I think everybody's got a legitimate chance. I'm not throwing anyone out the window at this point, but if you're to play the paper test, which I'm personally not a fan of playing the paper test because I don't think it means much of anything, but he was invested in the paper test. If you want to sell me on the fact that on paper there's not a lot of question marks, I would completely disagree, Paul. And the reason being is I'm just looking at the defensive line. You know, He was listing off guys. Lorenzo Carter has yet to play one NFL game. How Correct. can you tell me he's a lock for anything? You cannot. I'm not saying there's not upside for the player. Don't misinterpret my words. But you can't just throw him in the mix and say, oh, well, you know, they added a hybrid player. We have no idea what Lorenzo Carter's going to do on the NFL field. And and even if Lorenzo Carter turns out to be terrific, who knows if that'll be in year one, year two, or year three. You just don't know when things are going to click. So, I, I mean, you can't all of a sudden put that player on the pedestal. Is Goodson going to stay healthy? Goodson, he's a question mark still. But it's not know. It's not even so much as he's going to stay healthy. The sample size for B.J. Goodson is tiny. It is. Even when I he's been he's going to be good. No, I but... do too. But the sample size, if you're going to play the paper test, I guess in my opinion, Paul, there's got to be some backing to the player. Okay, so you got to right. be telling me, hey, this guy's been on the field for three straight years. He's been up there in tackles. He's been durable. He stayed on the field. You know you can get pressure on the quarterback. When you look at a lot of these defensive linemen, I just don't see a, a laundry list of a resume to say that you can hang your hat on. Dalvin Tomlinson, very small sample size. Plus, we're talking about he probably is going to see a lot more time on the outside this year when you have snacks on the field as the nose tackle. So how is that adjustment going to play out? As you continue to look through the list, B.J. Hill has not played one snap in an NFL regular season game. McIntosh, another rookie, has not played one NFL snap. I mean, you could go through the long- Avery Moss. How much of a sample size does Avery Moss have, Guys like Martin and Morrow have not exactly lit up the stat sheet. No, I mean, Martin was a special teams dynamic player, and then last year became a significant defensive component in Arizona. Now, he produced, but was that a flash, or is that something going to get moving forward? So, a lot of these players on the defensive line, I think, have upside, but I don't think you could say, hey, based on what I saw last season, I know I'm going to get this type of production out of them. I'm going to give Scott one small mulligan on what he had to say, and that is this. And I've said it to you before. I said it to John the other day on the show, too. When you look at a club and you say, okay, these are all of the questions that they have to answer to be a competitive team and to be in the conversation. There are times when a team will go into training camp and you'll say, okay, they might be able to answer half of them, but there's a bunch of questions here that, Amongst the 90 they have on the roster, they don't have answers. And you just know, going in, they're going to be short in some areas. I think it's fair to say that with the Giants' 90-man roster that they have right now, at least they have potential answers to each of the questions on the laundry list. It is a laundry list. There are a lot of questions about the Giants. Let's not make any mistake about that. But at least there are potential answers that are in the building. Well, at the moment, not now, but they'll be back in the building in July. That's about as far as you can go. Now, if you want to take Scott's optimism and say that every single one of those answers will come up roses, well, then he's right. Then all of a sudden, they're locked to make the playoffs and maybe go farther. But you can never say that every one of those questions 
is going to come up roses. They may turn out to do that in the end, but you can't say it now. It's just too well, premature. Well, it's too much unknown at this point. Yeah, so that's, that's why that's where I'll give him a little leeway. Well, at least they have potential answers on the team. There is the potential, but that potential is based on, to your point, everybody clicking and exceeding expectations, yes. which to me is also a big roll of the dice. That you're assuming everything is going to fall into place. So that is, to me, is a risky philosophy to hold simply because somebody's going to be bound to get hurt. Let's well, face it. That's how the NFL plays out. So you're going to need somebody on the depth chart to all of a sudden step up. But usually if you look at your Super Bowl contenders, your teams that make it to the Super Bowl, usually everything does click. That's just the way this game is well, nowadays because I, there's so much parity. Well, I, I agree with you to a certain extent, Paul, but Philadelphia, which won the Super Bowl, look at how many injuries the Eagles suffered this year and look at how many guys stepped up. I, I don't think okay. they would have went into the season thinking we lose Carson Wentz, Nick Foles is going to play you like ju- that. You just enhanced and- my point, though. Every one of the questions that they needed to answer when those guys got hurt was answered in a rosy fashion. Yeah, but I Foles mean, came and out and some. bang. He, he pr- well, and they also proved went through, he could win a Super Bowl. They lost two middle linebackers, so they were on a third-string middle linebacker. Every one of the questions they had as the season wore on was answered in a positive direction. That's what it takes to win the Lombardi Trophy now. That's the way. That's what this league has become. It's not, not the 70s and 80s NFL anymore, folks. And they also, it's just not. Well, they also had one of the best pass-rushing units and defensive lines in the NFL, too, and that helped. Because if you go back to you know how many players Jim Schwartz was able to rotate in and out last season, and I would argue he has the same type of options and the same type of depth this season, you know that obviously was a significant X factor. Now, you know, getting back to the last caller's point, Paul, if guys like Avery Moss, if guys like B.J. Hill, Kerry Wynn, Romeo Quara. If they all produce, then I would argue the Giants are up there with the likes of the Eagles in terms of having these options to plug in and plug out of the lineup. But I don't think we're there yet. No, with the eye no. test to Absolutely. say that that's equivalent to what Jim Schwartz is working with well, in Philadelphia. And again, let's not overlook special teams. They need to make more than 72% of their field goal attempts. They need to win the battle of field position with both their punting unit and their return units, which they did not do last year. Both both coverage as well as the return. Without question. Because all four of them they had issues with. All of this stuff has to be improved. Look, the Giants have a long way to go, but it's not impossible to say they could do it. Could is a little different than saying they will. I will say this. I think it was Pro Football Weekly just did a story on the Giants the other day. Long-time publication. Now it's internet only, as you guys know, for many years. They, they took the Vegas number for the Giants at six and a half wins over under. And they said, here are the positives. Here are the negatives. What will the Giants be? And they ultimately decided the Giants will be over the six and a half did they that give Vegas a win has total, said. Or they they just did said not over. give a win total. Okay. They simply said it will be over. The Giants will be better than what the experts in Vegas have said at six and a half wins. So that means anything seven and nine or above, which gets you on the fringe of starting to talk about playoffs because if you're seven and nine, chances are at least you played a meaningful game early in December. Which means you're in the mix. And that's means you're in the mix. Obviously what you want. You want a meaningful December. Because that's what that you means want. that you're knocking on the door at least within the postseason conversation. Interestingly, you brought up special teams and if 
Scott's phone call earlier in the program was maybe making a case for special teams based on paper, Paul. I'd actually agree with him 100% as opposed to the defensive argument. And what I mean by that is the addition of Michael Thomas, I think based on his track record, what he's done with the Dolphins, that is an upgrade. And Latimer. Special teams. Latimer is going to be the next guy that I would get to in terms of coverage as well as his ability in the return game. Mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley, his arrival, I think is another weapon. That if, you can at least take into consideration. If, if he does that. Well, I don't, think we'll it's cra- I don't think it's crazy to think. Nobody's saying that he's going to be the guy every single week, but you're going to tell me that they're not going to make an effort to at least work him in? They might give him a couple of kickoff returns here and there. Maybe. Okay, so that, Maybe. that presence, that threat, at least is another thing on paper that you would feel good about improving special teams. And some of the other players that they added, whether it be undrafted free agents or even guys on the depth chart that are competing for the fourth and the fifth spot are coming in with special teams experience. So See, you're talking that, about the rest of the units, though. The kickers themselves, whoever the place kicker is, whether it's Rosas oh, or well, not, that's certainly a part that of the guy has got to put points on the well, board, but, and the punter needs to be consistent, or all absolutely. these other guys you're talking about are irrelevant. Well, but making stops in the open field, Paul. <laughs> okay. I mean, How yes, about just punting the, the ball where it's supposed to go, the number of it is, yards it is, it's supposed but, to go? But here's the thing. Instead we, of a 25-yard shank. Well, and we've had these conversations with some interviews that we've had over the last few weeks as well as ourselves. Because of the new rules, though, this year, Paul, coverage is going to be extremely important regardless of where you put the football because well, of more where so they're lining up, though. Kickoffs so, as compared to the punts. Correct. The punts, kickoffs they're not changing at no, all. But, but listen, kickoffs is half the battle there. That's 50% of what you need out of your special team. So my point is, if you don't have the awareness out of your unit in terms of hustling down the field, knowing the correct angles to take, you are going to be in a precarious spot in terms of your coverage unit. So that's why I'm emphasizing coverage a little bit more this year than maybe I had been in previous years because of the new rules. And I'm sure special teams coaches are going to be doing the same. You need guys that know how to hustle down the field and also can win their individual battles. Because what are we expecting from the conversations we've had, Paul? We're expecting a lot more returns this year on kickoffs. That's what it seems like. That means you better have the guys that can make the stops. Or else you're going to have a lot of points put on the board in the blink of an eye just thanks to your return game. Maybe Hunter Sharp can do that for the Giants offensively. And that was another guy that I was going to get to the laundry list of players that they think they have on the roster that can help in terms of coverage and return. So that's something to at least take into consideration when you start to evaluate this roster. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Joe is in Pennsylvania. Joe, what's happening? Hey, great to talk to you guys there. Uh, Hi, Joe. Following up with uh, what you said there at the Super Bowl thing, there there is just too much to take into consideration here and i just want uh, one big thing there you know what i mean i just hope you think we're going to be a disciplined team and and take that in with goofy penalties and that because we're going to have some young guys on the line and that and i would think i would hope and think that uh uh barkley would be pretty uh disciplined wouldn't you think well he certainly appears to be a polished player we haven't seen him on the nfl field but how he handles himself Based on his collegiate resume, I would agree with you there. And also, when you take into consideration the arrival of a Jonathan Stewart, 
some other veterans like Nate Solder. You know, these are players who have been around the block, and they're coming from teams that have had a good culture of winning. Solder comes from the Patriots. Stewart comes from the Panthers. Those teams have always been in the playoff conversation over the last few years when those players were on those teams. So I think when you take into consideration the personality of the players, Joe, I don't think it's crazy to think that this could be a more disciplined team. But if you go back to last year, penalties was not a major issue for this team when it you look not. at the totals compared to the rest of the league, Joe. So I, I, I wouldn't go so far to say that it was an undisciplined team. If you want to say that maybe the team was lacking strong leadership, that to me is a separate conversation. And that I think there's evidence based on the makeup of this roster today that you certainly could argue they've improved in that department. One thing you'd have to take note of is that the bulk of the guys that the Giants brought in as veteran free agents have some type of connection to this coaching staff or this front office. Familiarity. And I think that has to do directly with the character of the locker room because Dave Gettleman was very clear about the type of atmosphere and climate that he wants in that locker room and on the practice field. And when you've got guys on the new staff that are all referring these other players to the GM saying, yeah, you know, I had this guy in Miami. I had this guy in wherever, you know, he's that kind of guy, uh, you know, Dave, trust me, this, this, this guy, he's going to come in here, he's going he's gonna to take care of that. You know, these, these staff members are not putting their necks on the line recommending they sign guys from other teams unless they know they're the right guys. You know what I'm saying? And in some cases, I think, some of these signees are probably even more character signings than they are stat signings, to be perfectly frank with you. They, some of these guys have not put up great stats, but because maybe they got a great reference from a, a, a staff member, they're bringing them in. So I think that also lends itself to a higher character locker room, and maybe that's kind of the area that you're trying to question about. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, I'm thinking back to when we had Coughlin, how disciplinary he was, and he still had his problems with that stuff and different time management and that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that is uh, very big, and especially I was wondering if we're going to be a ball control team, but maybe we won't be with the explosiveness that will break bigger plays. Would you think we'd be more ball control or be breaking the bigger plays here or there? Well, you have to be able to be ball control in certain instances. You've got to play the game as, as it unfolds. And the Giants, as you know, Joe, uh, they have not really had a very successful four-minute offense for several years. And to be quite frank with you, uh, yeah, big plays are fun. I'd like to see them make some more big plays. I'd like to see them score more points, especially in the red zone. For that, yeah. Who doesn't want that? But you know what? If you said to me... Hey, what, what's that one part of the offense that they're going to have to have that they haven't had recently? To me, it's that four-minute attack. Because if the defense really does come along and give them a chance, okay, to win more games, the four-minute offense is going to be the thing that helps lock it down. If yeah, they well, don't and they keep giving the ball back to teams with two minutes to go, they're not going to win a whole lot of games because you can't continue to survive like they did two seasons ago when the defense was on the field and, and able to, fortunately for them, lock up a bunch of very close games. 
Right. I hope we could. That that's uh, that's one thing you have to go back to Parcells. He could really ball control, and he would even go for it on the fourth downs and make it. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. It was really ball control with. Him. So you have to be able to do it. You you want to be explosive, but you better be able to, to control the tempo of the game yep. when you need to. You have to. I uh, I just hope we can be uh, disciplined because that 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 all goes in there with it. So uh, okay, well it does, Joe, and, and appreciate the phone call. But I brought up the numbers from last year. Giants had 91 penalties. That was tied for second fewest in the NFL last year. I knew they were so, in the bottom five. Yeah, and that's why I say when you say undisciplined and boneheaded penalties, I would not describe the Giants' performance last season as synonymous with that label because the numbers don't back that up. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't costly penalties taken at costly (laughs) times. There's a difference, but I guess what I'm saying, Paul, is over the course of the entire season, they weren't that type of team that was like averaging 10 penalties a game or something like that. Discipline can have many definitions when you apply it to the football field because the Giants had more than 50 drop passes this past season. Do you want to quantify discipline as all those drop passes or lack of discipline for all those drop passes? If you want to define it that way, yeah, I mean, that's you can. More, you can. I mean, to me, that's more of like mental mistakes, too. Isn't that discipline, though? Yeah, it is, too. But I guess, you know what, when, when you say a team has the lack of discipline— I don't Usually you're thinking about their rough around the it, edges. Exactly. I, I, uh, I agree. Yeah, I'm not necessarily thinking. I get it. I, I guess. But I'm trying to figure out no, his no, point I, a I, exa- bit. I understand where you're going with, Paul, but I guess what if you were to say the drop passes, which I think is a great point. I mean, that was something that came back to bite the Giants. But I don't think, to me, that's not equated to lack of discipline. That's just mental mistakes. You know, the concentration, thinking about what you're going to do with the football before Coughlin you actually would call that mental football. discipline, though. Okay. <laughs> for him, well, for him, it would be under that. Umbrella. And to each our own. I mean, in terms of what we're comfortable using, I guess, because sometimes when I, when I look at it as a team and they get labeled as lack of discipline, it almost means as if there was the intent I understand. to not stay in the game or they from. just they don't have that care, that feeling of they got to stay focused. Whereas sure. Sometimes just players just make mistakes because of the lack mm-hmm. of concentration or whatever it may be. It wasn't like they were playing out of the boundaries of the lines of the game. So, I you know, you. I think that that's something that you at least need to take into consideration when you evaluate the team and so forth. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three hashtag Giants chat. You can't get to the phones. We're also going to involve your Twitter question. So let's not hesitate there. We have some people already weighing in on the Twitter handles and talking about a variety of subjects that we weighed in. I know there was another one from Lisa who weighed in yesterday at So Bad Six. 3-4 defense ability to counter the opposing offense is flexibility. It causes a lot of confusion. Which player, in your opinion, will prove most productive in this flexibility? And then she lists three players. Olivier Vernon, Landon Collins, Alec Ogletree. Meaning, which of those three players do you think gives the Giants defense the flexibility to present challenges for the opposing offense? It's got to be Collins. Because he can do so many different things, whether he's playing the deep safety, the safety in the box, the pseudo linebacker. He can play zone. He can play some man. He could also be coming on the blitz. I mean, there are just too many different tools that he's going to be able to use as that Swiss Army knife, so to speak, in the better defense, where I think Vernon 
We know he's a terrific edge rusher. And as an edge rusher, he's either going to be standing up or he's going to be down on the ground. And then is he going to twist and stunt? Is he coming off the edge? Is he dropping back? There are certain things about what he does that will make him very dangerous. But I think Collins has to have more tools in his Swiss Army knife than Vernon does. I agree with you. And Lisa, to give her credit, also said she would have chose Collins Mm -hmm. of those three. I think Collins can help you in pretty much all three phases of the defense, whereas the other two players, not that they can't assist, but I don't think they're as versatile. Yeah. You know, Vernon, you know, he's going to help stop the run. He's going to get after the quarterback. Ogletree is going to be the voice of the center of your defense, and he's going to help you stop the run. He's not necessarily a guy that has put up massive numbers in the sack department that you think you could bank on him getting to the quarterback, whereas Collins, I mean, it was two years ago, Paul, where Collins, I mean, he filled up the statue. He gave you a little bit of everything. He really did. He, he really did. was, you know, approaching sort of like triple-double-S numbers in basketball, if you wanted <laughs> to use that as a parallel, because he'd give you the sacks, he'd give you the tackles, and then he'd be opportunistic to give you the interception. And those two players are not nearly as effective as Landon Collins in terms of covering the backside of the defense. And that doesn't mean that Landon Collins is a superb coverage guy in terms of getting down the field when you're worried about maybe whether or not he's going to match up with the guy, but he at least had the skill set to compete in that department. And those other two players, you're not necessarily going to be very comfortable rolling Vernon and Ogletree down the field in coverage. So I think that gives Landon Collins a tremendous advantage in that department. Uh, Let's look at some of these other questions that we have on Twitter. AJ at AJMarshall3. He, once again, is hoping the Giants are going to sign Dominique Rogers-Cromartie back to at least a one-year deal. Secondary, in his opinion, still lacks depth with unproven guys, is his point, which I don't think is a reach based on that statement. It's very difficult to disagree with that statement. I mean, you know, when you have the head coach himself saying three, four, and five at the corner spots are still going to be battled or competed for during the course of camp, um, you, you have to look at it that way. And quite honestly, again, maybe the supplemental draft throws another guy into this mix. We just don't know right now. Uh, DRC, to me, I would have a hunch, and I don't know this again. I have not talked to him. He's been incommunicado with the New York media, as far as I know, outside of the Landon Collins softball game when he kind of hinted yeah. you know, that, that he'll be back later in the summer with somebody. Um, it seems to me he's probably going to be a guy who signs – a one-year deal, or maybe at most a two-year deal at this stage of his career. I agree. I don't see him getting much more than that. Well, and also from a team executive standpoint, do you want to give him a multi-year deal? Well, that's what I mean. It just doesn't make sense. I don't think it makes sense for a team, and I don't know if it necessarily makes sense for him either, to be honest with you. I think he might be able to – I hate to use the Darrell Rivas comparison, but I think he's of that ilk, that he's that good a player, that – he might be better off just playing his cards one year at a time right now just to see how things go and pick the best spot for him, which will give him maybe the most immediate cash, but also give him the kind of role that he wants to play. I agree with you. I think that, first of all, it also gives him flexibility because if he has an outstanding season, he can maybe cash in on That's that my the following point. year. So that would be another reason why if I was his representatives, I would be like, hey, DRC, let's just take the best Betting one-year Betting on deal. himself, which is what Rebus did. Yeah. And we've seen plenty of players do that at various different positions. So it's not necessarily just the cornerback spot. And it depends on 
DRC and where he thinks he'll also have the best opportunity to play too. I think that would be part of it. As far as the depth chart, and, and this is what AJ hit on on Twitter, you know, it goes back to how we were talking about the defensive linemen earlier in the program. There's upside, there's potential, but there's just not a lot of proof. Not a lot of substance where you can say, hey, you know what? I've seen this guy do that for two seasons. I know what he's going to bring to the table. Yeah. Outside of William Gay, there's a lot of question marks on the depth chart. Teddy Williams did not even play last season. The familiarity component is there mm-hmm. to Dave Gettleman, Paul, but we're talking about a player that did not even get on the field as a secondary player last year. BD, BW Webb, veteran player, did not get on the field last year. So that's another guy. What do you know? What's going to happen? Curtis Riley, a player that also has experience in this league, has a connection to the coaching staff with Deshae Townsend, Mm -hmm. but limited activity in that department. What are you going to get out of there? It all goes back to William Gay. William Gay is the one guy that you keep looking at because you're like, all right, I can hang my hat on William Gay, Paul, because I've seen it, and I've seen it in recent history. Outside of that, once again, Upside potential, I mean, I look at also some of these other unknown commodities. Grant Haley, undrafted rookie out of Penn State, who was an outstanding special teams player during his tenure there. Maybe he blossoms into a player when they put the pads on, Paul, and all of a sudden that's going to be somebody that carves out a role for himself. Who knows? A lot of question marks. This is why you have to watch the preseason games. Yep. Fans, watch these games. I'm telling you, like the coaches are going to be all over it with a microscope. you got to do the same because there are so many questions that you have that you'll be able to answer yourselves when you see these guys perform on the field. <laughs> this is an odd one. Rich, uh, Rich Dolore wants to know, what are the chances week one of the Giants opening the Shermer era in white throwbacks and make Jacksonville wear their dark jerseys in week one? Oh, at uh, at MetLife Stadium. That's taking the strategy to a whole other level. Well, you don't remember what used to happen with the Cowboys. You know, right? You're not that young, are you? I, w- I hope not. Well, I don't know where you're going to go with this. So Where, where when, when Dallas was on the road, okay, teams would wear their home whites to force Dallas to wear their dark jerseys. Because it was it was assumed that it was bad karma for the Cowboys. Parcells swore by this on a Bible. Whenever Dallas came to, to Giant Stadium, Dallas was forced to wear their, their midnight blues. And the theory was that the midnight blues were bad luck for the Cowboys. And it was and it was ba- well, bad karma. It was I mean, bad karma. I'm not one to bank my strategy on bad karma. May may I say this? I don't know what the actual stats were for the Cowboys wearing, wearing their those. dark jerseys on the road. I don't know what those stats were, but I do know there was a generic feeling amongst many NFL people that, okay, when you go down to Dallas and play the Cowboys at home, they were really a dominant team, and they, of course, wore their whites. So the reverse psychology came into play, and they said, okay, we're going to make them wear their darks when they come to our building. A a lot of people believed in this. Parcells was a stickler for superstition. I mean, he he hated for Dallas to wear their whites. I think there is some validity behind that from a heat perspective, and maybe I'm taking it really (laughs) deep. No, for example, to the— let me see if somebody on, on to the Google point has on the Twitter, answer to this. Well, you can find the stats, but in all seriousness here, joking aside, 
if you bring Jacksonville to MetLife Stadium and you force them to wear their dog jerseys, the whole point is if it's a really hot day, yeah, I'd want them in their blacks because okay. maybe that's obviously going to take its toll on the team over the course of a game. Once again, I don't think that's going to make or break, though, the outcome of the contest, in my own personal opinion. But I understand the logic that if it's an outdoor game, the weather's extremely warm, yes, you want the opposing team to be wearing dark jerseys. No doubt about that. And I could see where the point on Twitter was brought up in that department. But I don't know if that's exactly why they were going in that direction or it was just a matter of having them wear those jerseys because they just don't like how they look. And I'm not for one that feels the clothing should be a big part of the debate in terms of the influence in the outcome of the game because I really don't think in the big picture of things it has much of a say on that. Let's go to another Twitter question while you look that up so that we can further the conversation. You can also hit us up at 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Daniel R. Lewis at Daniel R. Lewis 7. He's looking at it from a financial perspective. And he's talking about the quarterback position where will this be the year Eli Manning's last to accommodate signing Odell Beckham as well as some other players? And will Davis Webb be the franchise quarterback is his question. Well, listen, Dave Gettleman was on the record saying that he did not think what Eli Manning showed in 2017 was a mirage. He thought that it was a sign of him being a productive quarterback with the necessary weapons around him. So to ask whether or not this is going to be Eli Manning's last year, I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves, especially if the GM has been front and center giving his confidence in the quarterback. As far as Davis Webb being the franchise guy, you know, Davis Webb needs to continue to show that he can improve as a quarterback, and we're not going to be able to tell that until we get to the preseason because, you know, we can sit here and tell you guys are making great throws with no pads on and no pressure in their face, and you would expect everybody to thrive under those circumstances. Once they put the pads on, once they get going against opposing teams where they don't know about their strategy and they're not familiar with their defensive personnel, I think that's going to tell a lot more in terms of the upside of the quarterback. But I don't think we're there yet, whether you could tell me with 100% certainty that Davis Webb is going to be the franchise guy. And same thing with respect to Kyle Loletta. We've got to see the preseason. We've got to see these guys with pads on before we get to that point. I would say that Webb is ahead of Loletta, and he should be ahead of him because he's had an entire offseason ahead of him, and he's had an entire season with the team too. But beyond that, I, I don't think one quarterback ha has a significant edge over the other. Did you find the uh, statistics that What's you were What's funny about for? it is that there are many stories, many stories on Google that talk about this piece of karma. Okay. One of them that I have found has statistical proof. Says the Cowboys started wearing their white jerseys at home in 1964 when GM Tex Schramm thought it would be good for fans to see the opponent's colors instead of just the blue and white every week that the Cowboys had. And so that's that's where it first came from. It was a Tex Schramm thing back in 64. And I found another story that said um, back in a few years ago it was only the second time since that change that Dallas wore their blue tops at home. They're always wearing the whites. But I don't see anything here about the win loss record. That has the yeah, one loss record. The which is a shame because, you know, when people throw out this piece of karma or this piece of tradition or this jinx, if you will, 
it'd be nice to have some mathematics behind it. I think that'd be the whole point of making them do what they're doing. If it doesn't serve its purpose, what's the purpose? I tell you what, I'll call Parcells. You should. You call him up after the program. You consult with him, and then maybe offhand, he's got the statistic. In the meantime, let's hear from some other voices as we head back to the lines. 201-939-4513. Duke is in Queens. Duke, what's happening? Guys, how's it going, man? Doing all right, Duke. What do you got thank for you, us? Thank you for taking my call. Um, I've been going through this uh, upcoming season with uh, the coach, well, with the with the fine comb, and and I, I I'm looking at our schedule and I'm looking at our team, and I just sort of think that we're not going to make it to the playoffs, but I think it's going to be because of our defense, because I really really love Pat Shermer and I think he has a great offensive mind, so I think he'll do his job. Uh, James Betcher is a great D.C., but I just don't think he has the tools. So my question for you is, assuming, this is a hypothetical, assuming we don't make it to the playoffs and it's because it's mostly because of our defense, uh, who goes, in your opinion? And I have uh, something to say after that. Wow. Well, <laughs> I mean, we're really getting ahead of ourselves, Duke, with that question. You have some players that are still under contract, so you have to take that into consideration because, you know, if you start speculating about, you know, who would be a candidate to go, you don't know what type of financial implications that would have if you decide to part ways with a player. I think when you look at the Giants' defense and how Jerry Reese built it in that free agency spending spree, he gave everybody, Paul, the same length contract-wise. You know, it wasn't like this guy got a two-year deal, that guy got a one-year deal. So, you know, they're really all set to expire simultaneously for the most part. Well, when you look at the Jenkins, the Vernons, the Snacks of the world, who they rebuilt the defense around. The idea was, as I looked at all the different machinations in the contracts, is that the Giants were looking at potentially maybe a three-year window. And uh-huh. that three-year window was 17, 18, and 19 to try to do something with these players. You don't include 16 in that? Because 16 was... So I'm sorry. Yeah. 16, 17, 18. 18. Okay. 16, yeah. 17, 18. So this is now we're entering year three. So this is year three. After this season, each individual guy's got to be taken on an individual basis, and then you have to start figuring out what your numbers are going to be. Of course, the cap is going to go up again, too. Yeah. So that will have an impact on it. But I kind of thought that when they spent a lot of money on the defense prior to uh, that 11-win season, they were looking strategically at what they thought was going to be a three-year push. And so far, they're two years into that push, and they got one playoff appearance for it. And this is the other thing you got to take into consideration, Duke, to your question. Yeah. The fact that Dave Gettleman didn't invest in the nucleus of this defense. He did not. So his ties to these players are limited. I mean, he's going to evaluate them this season. He's going to see how James Betcher utilizes them. And then, to your point, if it becomes a disappointment and the results are not there, then I don't think Gettleman's going to be losing sleep over the fact that he didn't sign any of these players. So why would he feel as if he has an ultimate connection that he's forced to keep them if it doesn't help the overall productivity of the team moving forward? Okay, uh, two more questions. Um, uh, Going off of the projected 53-man rosters in your guys' minds, who is one person that you see not making the 53-man roster that you just really have, like, a soft spot for? So who, meaning that we like, that we could potentially see not making the roster? You mean like a a guy who might be a good practice squad candidate? Exactly. 
Nick Gates, offensive lineman from Nebraska. Rookie, undrafted rookie free agent. And I like him. I like him. I think he's got very good technique. He's very smart. He's aggressive. Um, I I think they can work with him. I'd, I'd I'd like to see him stick around somehow. The two guys that jump out to me are Grant Haley and Sean Chandler. Chandler's got experience as a corner and a safety. Haley's mainly a corner. They're both good special teams players. You know, Chandler's the undrafted rookie out of Temple. Haley, I mentioned earlier, is out of Penn State. The reason why I like the two of them, I, I think they've showed some flashes in camp thus far in, during the spring period. I think there's opportunity for them to make the team because they play positions that are far from locks in terms of the depth chart, but... It's still going to be an uphill battle because there's a lot of polished veterans on this team that have a little bit more experience over them. So that's why I would not be surprised if they ultimately don't make the team. But I at least like what I've seen thus far out of the two. All right. I like those answers. Those are good answers. And uh, last question, um, and I'll take it off the air. Uh, Eli Apple, um, not a fan. I hate the fact that on a lot of, on a lot of his coverages, uh, when he's sticking people, uh, he doesn't rotate his head to look at the ball, try to locate the ball, and like that's I can think of help when it comes to interceptions. Not saying he can't develop that quality, but I haven't seen it yet. So I'm not a big fan. However, I know you guys are, and what do you see his projected stats being this year, this upcoming season? What do you think it's going to be? Thank you, guys. All right, Duke. Welcome. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks, Thanks so All much right. for weighing in. Well, I happen to love Eli Apple's skill set. I've said it a billion times on this program. And what, what the caller is not understanding is that there are different ways to teach a corner. Some corners play the ball. Some corners play the man. And there are two totally different philosophies. And Coach Marvin, if he's out there, uh, he could second this and call in and tell us about it. Because they, there are distinct ways to play. And both can be very effective. It depends on just how good the guy is at physically getting it done. Um, you know, so I happen to think the world of Eli Apple's skill set. I think he can be an absolute top-flight cornerback, and I know the Giants felt that way when they made him their first-round draft pick a couple of years ago. Well, and Apple also has really good size, too, to play the position. Does. So that's another quarter. reason why sure. you know, I don't think you'd give up on him so quickly. Not that the caller was trying to say that. I think what you have to understand is, and this goes back to our big point at the beginning of the show, it's all about sample size. It's all about the volume of work. And he Eli was good Apple as a rookie. was great as a rookie. And he was not able to duplicate that success in his sophomore campaign. But it's still a small sample size. This is a critical year for him because this is the year that he now has a completely new defense. He's got new coaches around him, Paul. And it's an opportunity for him to tap back into what he showed as a rookie and prove that last year was just perhaps an anomaly and there were other things on his mind and there were issues within the locker room, whatever it may be. Or not get necessarily back to where he was, and then maybe it was just a matter of striking gold year one, flashing too early, and now struggling to build off of that. But it's going to be a telling season. You know, we've got to see where he takes this offseason. And so far, I think he's said all the right things, he's done all the right things, and he's clearly motivated to quiet the skeptics, which right now is looking good. But it's all about whether or not you can translate that to the field come the regular season. He needs to be more like Felipe Sparks, who showed flashes when he came into the league, and then after being a bit inconsistent, 
got to be really good and blossomed and had three or four really good seasons with the Giants, as opposed to Will Peterson, who had all the talent in the world, then got hurt, then kind of mentally wasn't really into the game, and quickly, despite all that skill, went right downhill and found himself uh, you know, off the team, on the Eagles, and then I think out of the league. So it could go either way, but there's no question about his skill set, at least in my mind. Uh, B.C. the Grim reminds me of Bob Grimm, the <laughs> wide receiver from the early 1970s, acquired in the Vikings deal, uh, the Fran Tarkenton trade. Uh, who was the tallest wideout on the current roster? And uh, that's an easy answer because the Giants have a lot of smallish receivers. The two guys who stand out the most, Marquise Bundy, who is uh, listed at six foot four, the former yep. Arizona Cardinal, and Alonzo Russell, who was listed at six foot three. He's out of Toledo. Russell made a nice catch, a touchdown grab in the back of the end zone. Really nice grab on a rollout by Davis Webb uh, during the third minicamp session. And I talked to Webb after he had thrown that TD pass to Russell, and I said, Davis, that was a heck of a throw, but I had to do a double take because I, I didn't know the receiver you threw it to, <laughs> number 84. And I'm like, he goes, oh, no, no, remember him. Remember him. He, he can do some things. So it ought to be interesting to see if Alonzo Russell uh, has a good training camp and kind of works his way somehow into the mix. And Bundy was on the practice squad last season before he was called up late. Cardinals before the Giants. Before so. the Giants, yes. So that's another young guy to watch out for. I think, to me, you hit right on the nose with what you were saying, Paul. I'm very intrigued to see what the wide receiver is going to do come camp because I don't think this is a receiving core that is full of a bunch of names notable commodities, but I do think there's potential here. I think there's a lot of athletes in this group mm -hmm. and a lot of players that could fill out the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth spot. It's just a matter of them showing consistency. That's what you want to see out of this group. Who is going to be the guy that's going to show up on Monday, make plays, and then Tuesday he's going to be able to do the same thing? And remember this. I'm going to warn you folks about this right now before you even get to training camp to watch these practices. Let's say the Giants do keep six wide receivers on the 53. Don't be shocked if on some game days they only dress four because Barkley's going to be a target, Engram's going to be a target, and there may be times when there are other guys in other positions who are so much better on special teams that they only draft or dress yeah. four wide receivers on a given Sunday or maybe even only three. That could happen. I don't think it's going to happen a lot, but it could happen because of options that they have at other positions who can contribute to the receiving game. Let's head back to the lines. You brought up his name. His ears were burning. Coach Marvin is on the line. Coach, what's happening? Hey, Coach. Hey, how you doing, Paul? Lance, how you doing? Doing all Pre right. Preach about the corners. Let the guy know, Marvin. Come on. Well, no, I agree with you that uh, Eli Apple is, has a very good uh, skills. I mean, people need to look at the way he plays the man. He's always right on the man. Mm-hmm. And he, he's very good, and he got that recovery speed that you have to have when you – I mean, there's going to be times you're going to get deep playing uh, corners. Probably one of the most difficult um, positions to play on the field is corner. And, um, I mean, he, he, play, he plays the man very well. I, I always feel that he needs to play as though he's going to translate himself into – the receiver, and that's what we used to try to. I try to teach my guys that once the ball is in the air, 
I, the question I ask the kids, who does it belong to? Is mm-hmm. it on the offense or the defense? Because it actually doesn't belong to anyone. So I always say, go get the ball. So play the ball, take chances at every now and then. You pick your spots when you want to take those chances. And you, he has, I, I think the thing he needs to work on in anticipation and as far as what the routes that are, are being run. Because a lot of times, situation football dictates the routes. Sure and, does. And if, he, and if he can understand that, I, I believe you You got an outstanding corner there. And, that, and I said it earlier um, uh, this year when we were trying to figure out who's going to be the most improved. Eli Apple was the one. I threw his name out there that uh, that's the one because mm-hmm. I like his skill sets. I believe this guy can he, can he can play. I mean, people are underestimating yeah. him based on what happened last year. I mean, you don't get picked in the NFL. What was he, the ninth overall pick, I believe it was? He was up there. Right. So, and, and then you get these guys come in, get them when them come in. What do they do? They're going to clean the slate. Why? Because they know he has a skill set. If, if he didn't have it, I'm sure they would have let him go based on what was going on. What did Dave him. tell everybody? You don't give up on talent, right? You don't. And he has the talent to, to play. And um, I believe in him. And I think if, and watching what I could see as far as the practices, I will be there this year. I'm retiring in, uh, uh, from the uh, federal government in a few days. Oh, but, good luck well, to you, nice. Marvin. All Congrats the best. Well, hopefully I see you guys up there. Well, don't retire from our program, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. My mother lives not too far from the stadium. She lives in Newark, and I grew up in Newark. Okay. And nice. I grew up with, uh, actually, I grew up with uh, Andre Tippett, nose guards. Wow. Outstanding yeah. Patriots linebacker. He was a good one. Yeah, he was. And um, but back to what I said, but watching him on the film, I mean watching him on what I see online, he he's uh, you guys are there. He's been playing the ball. I've seen him knocking the ball away from guys and uh so all you have to do is turn those, some of those into interceptions. All you need is three or four of those a year and uh he he's on his way and that that'll build his confidence, I believe, as far as playing the ball. But no doubt this guy got talent. He does he does have talent. Definitely. Terrific Absolutely. call, Marvin. You know, Coach, in some ways, it. he reminds me. Remember Will Allen out of Syracuse, the number one pick? Yeah. He reminds yeah. me in some ways of Will Allen, who was always in the right position. He could shadow guys all the way down the field. And then right. when it came time to finish the play, Will would either deflect it and the receiver would catch it and be a first down for the other team, or he uh-huh. would just wave his hands at it and the guy would just make a spectacular catch on his own. He was always in position but couldn't finish. And and he was a very frustrating corner to watch because with a tremendous skill set, you expected more production out of him and he just teased you all the time. I think well, Eli Apples I think he can take it to the next level and start to finish some more plays. Well, you said it not too long ago. I don't know if you remember, but you said something about Corey Webster. I, I, I put the Corey Webster label on him. Corey went through a lot. He sure did. Similar stuff as him. A lot of injuries, and, though, Marvin, to be honest yeah. with you. The first three, four years that, that Corey was in the league, he had a lot of injuries, a lot of that people didn't know about, too. He was really significantly right. banged up. And quite frankly, they wanted him to play off-corner. 
and he wanted to play press man because that's what he did at LSU. And I would talk to him, and I would I would discuss this with him, and he would talk about how I know what my skill set is, and this scheme doesn't fit my skill set. And it's like, why did they draft me? Because they're asking me to play a totally different kind of philosophy, which he wasn't used to or built for. And then finally, when Spags got here, although he had that first half of 2007, he was in the doghouse, but when he finally got his act together and he meshed with the press man that Spags wanted him to play, look how good he became. Right, right. And I believe he was injured coming out of that draft. I think he got hurt at LSU. I he had believe. a lot. Of, he had a oh, hip. He had a knee. He had an draft. ankle. He had a lot. Of, he had yeah. ribs. He had a lot of injuries. Yeah, he did. He did. Good player, but, though. Um, good, good player. But, uh, but good to talk to you guys. Uh, hopefully I'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Coach All right, Marvin. Marvin. Thank you. All call. right. Take care. You got yeah. it. Thanks so much for weighing in. That's going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate all the phone calls, all the tweets. You can always interact with us off the air at hashtag Giants Chat. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. We'll speak to you tomorrow right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.